Welcome to Design by Us, the show where we discuss how humans have designed the world. Uh, my name is Ravi, and with me today is Luigi. Well, I was going to say another name, but whatever. Okay, okay. Um, What's your I'm other here, name? I'm here, I'm here, I'm here. No, it's okay, it's okay. It, it's better, it, I'll keep it for a future episode, don't worry. All right, excellent. So, um, uh, yeah, stay tuned for that one, everyone. <laughs> Ravi, so Manchester United lost during the weekend. Yes, they did. They absolutely did. Yeah, yeah. yeah and that's all we'll say about How that. How does that make you feel? Uh, I don't feel anything anymore after that game. Oh, all right. Yeah. Yeah. Stole your heart. Stole your heart. Mm-hmm. Did you ever? Did you ever ever feel anything before that? Even. Yeah, I was a very emotional person up up until Sunday, <laughs> and then <laughs> after right. that, I decided that emotions just aren't worth it. So that's where all we're right. at. Nice. All right. Very nice. What are we talking about today, man? Today we're talking about accessibility and specifically how Microsoft. You might have heard of them have implemented Mm -hmm. and how they have considered the topic and the issue of accessibility. To kick us off, accessibility is a priority for Microsoft. Satya Nadella is on the record of saying this. I think it's like, since he came in uh, as as CEO of Microsoft, this has kind of been his, his, one of his key projects that he's been driving through. He said, we will focus on designing and building products that our customers love and are accessible to everyone and built for each of us. And we want to kind of dive into that statement a little bit today. And we want to figure out what accessibility means, what inclusive design means, and maybe talk about some applications of that as well. Awesome. All right. So what does disability mean? Yeah, it's really, it's a, it's a really good question. It's a really, really good yeah. question. And I think it's important to, you know, at, at the top of this, just say that uh, people with disabilities are exactly that they're people first and foremost. And just like every person, they need the things that most uh, that everyone else needs uh, that's respect you know it's tolerance and and that kind of stuff as well and when we were looking through uh, microsoft's uh, inclusive design notes because they've done this awesome thing of put lots of their do- design documentation uh, out there into the world uh, what they really want you to do is focus on the person and not necessarily the disability and hopefully that is the approach that we'll take uh, for this conversation uh, and we don't want to be patronizing we don't want to uh, but what we do want to also say is that this isn't really either of our lived experiences and yeah. we're going to do our best. Yeah. To me, it feels as if the world has taken the word accessibility as, as if, if it's helping people with certain disabilities. Uh, but I just, I just want to clarify and just, and this is something that, that changed my mind. Just say that's not really true. Accessibility is about giving access to things and, and the tools that connect us with each other, right? To true technology. That's that's a really nice quote that they mentioned in the in the in the Microsoft um, design guidelines that you can find in the show notes. But is is when you when you design without speaking to the user, and we start designing with a bias in our in our design um, process, then that product or or design becomes accessible only to a small subset of people, and that's when the problems start to arise. And when you ex- exclude the rest of the population um then then you're just not designing for everyone and the beauty of this and this is why i think it's so important that we talk about it is because when designing for accessibility is when you don't you are not only helping certain people that have those needs you're making the overall product better because that means you're making it um, suitable for a broader audience, not just a, a smaller um, subset. And a very interesting NASA event that I wanted to point out here that exemplifies this really well of not including everyone in the design process was when NASA 
thought that Sally Ride, which was the first woman in space, the U.S. woman in space, thought that they needed that that she needed a hundred tampons for only one week in space, and they said that's just to be safe. And the worst thing is that apparently all of the all of them were tied up with the same string, so you kind of had to like cut them apart, which is not really useful when you actually need only one or two for that week, right? Or well, say a bit more, but you get the point. It's not about disabilities, it's about including everyone in the decision-making process of your product or design or, or system that you're trying to create. I thought that was interesting. So listen, you're, you're Satya Nadella, okay? You've just come into Microsoft, you've replaced, I think it was Steve, Steve Ballmer. Why, why yeah. would you do this? Like, why would you say, hey, we're gonna make accessibility something that's really important to us? Yeah, I think Microsoft, why would I do that? But why would Microsoft as, as, a, as a whole do it? And I think he came in a time where Microsoft wasn't the cool kid in the ground anymore. That's one of the things. But I also think there is a gap in the market. I, I don't think there is a, a company that is called by their design guiding principles for accessibility. And I thought that was a way to reposition themselves as a design-oriented company. So filling that gap in the market. And to be honest, Microsoft products in the last decade have been improving so much in terms of hardware and, and, and just the way the system is being connected. Not that's, I wouldn't say UX, but they have been putting a, a lot of great work behind that. Uh, also changing the perception of the tech world and giving an, an, an opportunity to grow in businesses just to change that, that perception of, um, because if it feels as if, uh, when you design for diversity, it's more like a, an initiative that, oh. We already built this product. We are already at 1 million pros in, in profit or even growing even more. And now we are going to start thinking about let's design for diversity, for inclusivity, for accessibility. And that's an initiative that you start later on. Instead of in, in putting that into the, the core product culture of your company. And yeah, so that, that's what I think. It's, it's just a matter of repositioning themselves and given the opportunity to smaller companies to build that within within their core core product culture what what yeah, would you have done what do you think Any yeah I, th I think i think it's also worth saying you know the reason why we're talking about this um you're talking about positioning and that kind of stuff like the reason why we're talking about this we've, we've actually had this idea on the back burner for a little while um and what brought it to the front burner is an advertising campaign microsoft is doing uh, around mm -hmm. accessibility and one of it's just saying you know how important accessibility is and that's what the ads are saying and they've got that and they've also got somebody signing as well um yeah. on on the actual uh, vid video advertising billboards which i think is really cool it's a little bit useless because there's no there's no sound anyway and so they are kind of you know what's the point of doing sign language if you've got words written right next to it right and you might argue as well maybe we'll get into this when we talk about specifics some of the products that it is virtue signaling but I completely agree with you. I think this is not only a, a great thing to do, but it's also a great way to kind of bring a focus on the, on the discipline of design within your, within your company. And you start it when it comes to accessibility uh, and you're saying, hey, this is something we really care about. And by the way, if we care about accessibility, then it also means that we care about design as well. Mm -hmm. a, a, another example that I'm currently facing is uh, we're trying to invest more into mobile. A lot of our users are coming through mobile and we're we are, we haven't really invested in that product. And one of the things I learned recently is that if that's the case, you should always start by designing through mobile 
And the reason for that is because the smaller screen is just going to force you to keep the information layout more efficiently and, and keep it to just the relevant things. So then when you have a much bigger canvas, your job is much easier on, and you're going to have a much better design. So it's a similar approach, right? If you start with thinking about accessibility from the very beginning, your end product is going to be so much better by default. No, definitely, definitely. So what are, what are some of these uh, inclusive design principles that Microsoft has, has mentioned? Yeah. yeah, 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 great, great, great question. I dove into these uh, yeah. in preparation for this show um, and I'll take you through them and then we'll start thinking about how they're applied. So Microsoft have what they call the Microsoft Inclusive Design Principles. And you can find this online. We'll drop a link to it, to the show notes, but we'll quickly, I'll take you through them right now, Luigi, if that's all right with you. No, man, I think I think that's too too much to ask. Okay, can we right, cool. stop this right now. All right, fantastic. And if you can find, if you want to learn more about this, um, okay, cool. So uh, how they define accessibility is the qualities yeah. that make an experience open to all. So you're right, it's not about saying, hey, look, there's this group of people and we want to make our product more for them. It's actually saying, we want to make our products more for everybody. And you can see why that makes sense from like a business point of view. Um, so they define accessibility as the qualities that make an experience open to all. So it's not just about saying, hey, look, there's that group of people who have uh, this particular condition or they need to do X, Y, Z or whatever. It's just saying that in general, let's make it more open to more people, which I think is a really good way to approach it. And they've also said um, that accessibility can also be defined uh, as a professional discipline aimed at achieving the first definition, if that makes sense. So accessibility mm -hmm. is not only the goal, it's also the role. And the way that they try and achieve accessibility is with what they call inclusive design. And they define that as a design methodology that enables and draws on the full range of human diversity. Now, to be honest, that's a little bit corporate speak for me. So let me kind of just demystify that a little bit, at least in the way that I understand that, which is that it's basically designing. Um, if you include more people or more different types of people at the early design stages, then you're basically getting more and more input at, at an earlier stage. And if you're trying to capture the full range of human diversity, as they say, basically people with different needs and different problems and different um, you know, ways of thinking and that kind of stuff, then you are more inclusive in your design process and accessibility will be the end result of that, if that makes sense. Yeah. Are you with me? Yeah, I'm following, following. All right. So they break that down into, into three core principles, which I think is really, really cool. The first one is they say, you need to recognize exclusion. And basically that means is that when you're kind of designing something, think about who you're excluding from that conversation. Sachin Nadella said this really nicely. He said that actually we, we want to bring accessibility kind of upstream in terms of the product creation process. Like when he was cutting his teeth in Microsoft, uh, accessibility used to be known as assistive technologies. And basically he was like, oh, product's been built, right. Okay, cool. How can we make this, um, you know, what boxes do we need to tick? in order to make this accessible, if that makes sense. But yeah. what they're saying here is, you know, you should recognize who's not at the table. You should recognize who is not being included. Basically the, the point is, is that when we recognize who we're excluding, we're actually like basically fighting against our own biases because everyone, everyone has yeah. biases and that's totally normal. And that's the way the world works. And, yeah. and what's really interesting in, in the design document, they also made the point that in like the eighties, disability was seen as like a personal attribute, like you were disabled, you had this, you know, that kind of stuff. Right. And actually now the much more modern way of looking at disability is as being context dependent. 
So like you, you're just in a world that isn't set up for you. And the way that I like to think about this was, is like, if everything, if everything was in Braille and there was no words written down anywhere, it was, everything was in Braille, then I would be disabled, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Because, you know, I can't interact with the world in the way that, you know, is best suited to, to my abilities. And therefore, like, you can basically say that disability, you can describe it as when interactions between a human and the world and their context is kind of mismatched and it's not quite syncing up properly. Yeah. No, then a way disabilities are kind of amplified based <clears throat> based on, on, on your context and the world that you live in, no? Yeah, no, absolutely. Not even amplified, they're created. Like, because literally, like, if you're... Say, for example, you only had one arm um, and, you know, that door is, is heavy. So typically you might need two hands to open it. If you're in a world where everybody only had one arm, then that door wouldn't be made in that way, if that makes sense. And yeah. basically what you're doing is you're basically saying, actually, it's just the context that isn't matching up here rather than yeah. it's not the person, it's the context. And I think it's yeah. really good because as designers, you can't put the expectation on the user, right? The user is never wrong. Um, yeah. And you have to really think about it from, from first principles. Yeah. Oh, I, lo I love that approach. The second point is that you can uh, learn from diversity. Um, what The way that they break that down is they say that human beings are the real experts in adapting to diversity. They say that we can try to imagine how a person uh, with a given set of abilities would use an experience, but we can't imagine their emotional con context what gives them joy, what frustrates them, which are the things you typically, you know, think about when you're creating an experience. Mm -hmm. And basically they're saying, bring in diversity upstream. Firstly, recognize your own biases and then bring in diversity and then learn from that um, while, while you're doing it. And the point that they make as well is that as tech becomes like more mobile um, and things like that, and we're also used to using our devices and things like this, they actually become less, less inclusive because yeah. you're, you're, you're actually... The more mobile a piece of technology is, the more exclusive it is to people who aren't necessarily mobile as well. Yeah. There is an interesting approach that if if I can, I would test it with more people when in the previ previous project that I used to have. And I think I talked to you about this. And it's basically having a, a, an emotion graph, which is basically in, in the x-axis, you have different the different steps from onboarding until the, the, the user accomplishing the first task. And then on the y-axis, you have different emotions and you can have multiple axes if you wanted to, if you wanted to go three-dimensional, three-dimensional. But anyway, so the idea here is, is let's keep it simple. It's just to match the frustration of the user and in each step of the product uh, onboarding or the product that maybe you're testing a feature or whatever you're trying to do, just divide everything in, in very granular tasks that the user has to do. And then on the y-axis, you just have those frustration and then happiness moments or aha moments. It would be really interesting just to test different audiences and just see just the average. Uh, that's a nice approach. And I, and I wish I, I would have done, I had the knowledge that I have now to do that before uh, and just test how many frustration points are there for different audiences compared to um to the ones i was testing previously and and that's something we don't really think about and and that's a nice way we will talk about it later in the design sprint which is how can you implement this with your with your current project but yeah that's something i would definitely would do again if i could no you're absolutely right and uh, the point microsoft is making there is like actually like you can't just imagine it you have to go and you have to bring these people in who are not who are not like yourself you have to bring them in to that design process because you can sit in a room you can you can try and guess how somebody who is differently abled might have 
um, their frustrations or their pain points might come at different points in, in the experience than, than mm. you. But really, you can't really imagine that you have to, you know, bring that in. And actually, what's really interesting as well for me is that when I was reading through their uh, design documentation around this, yes, it was like, all right, cool, this is how we make products. And these are the principles that we that we use when we're making products. But actually, it, it sounded more like cultural and more organizational focused as well. Because if you're saying, hey, we need to bring in lots of different people uh, early in the process so we can consider mm -hmm. all types of needs, then actually your organization needs to be set up so that you've got lots of different types of people in your organization with different types of needs. So for me, it's almost like the product is a reflection of how diverse that company is at, at an early, you know, because you, you can't just get a bunch of people in a room and imagine what it's like to be somebody else. Well, you can try, but it's just not going to work out as well as if you actually had those people in the room to begin with. Yeah, I agree. I agree. I agree. That's why diversity and immigration is so important. Yeah, absolutely. But, th yeah. but then again, like it's diversity along different dimensions, uh, definitely. Yeah, 100%, 100%. But... The third principle they've got uh, is they say solve for one extent to many. And this kind of circles back to what we were saying at the beginning. Like, why do this? Um, they basically have this theory that um, if you can solve for one, you can extend that same solution to lots and lots of different people. So if you're designing for people um, who have permanent disabilities, um, it might seem like quite a big constraint on your design process. You know, you know, this, there's, you know, there's so many people in the world and a subset of those people are differently abled. Um, you know, why, why, why bother if almost, because you're actually going to go very, very narrow and you're not going to learn, um, for anything, but actually the point that they're saying is this is totally not the case. And, and let me give an example. Uh, they, they give some stats, um, which say that, okay, look, if we're going to design for somebody with a personal permanent disability and I give the example of somebody who, who, who has one arm, um, you might design your product and think, God, there's, there's not many people in the world who, who have one arm. But then if you think about all the different types, all the people who might have a, a temporary injury to their arm, like a wrist injury or something like that, maybe they've broken it, fallen out of a tree or something, that number becomes so much bigger. And then if you think about, right, okay, so, you know, I might not have use of one arm because um, I have a disability, which means that I can't use that arm or I've got an injury, which means I temporarily can't use that arm. You also have loads of situations in which you can't use both arms anyway. So say, for example, you're a young parent and you've got um, a, a baby, you know, you're holding the baby quite literally. So suddenly your product, which you've made for a very narrow subset of users is suddenly very applicable to lots and lots of different types of people. Yeah. And they basically have this theory that if you can solve for one person, you can actually extend that solution to many, many different people. And I think that's a really, really lovely way of looking at it. And, As an awesome and... example. What I find really interesting is that um, I see here in the stats they mentioned they have 20, 26, I don't know what's the location of this, of this example, but imagine for now, people with permanent disabilities is 20, 26K, then with temporary disability, 13 million already, and with situational, 8 million. So you go from, if you add them up, you go from permanent 26K, 26,000 people to 21 million already. So in theory, you're, <laughs> this is a, a lot of, of, of growth. If, if you actually think of what's the, the broader market. So I, lo I really love this approach and I, I yeah. I, yeah. And I, I really, sorry, you're going to continue. No, 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 I get it. I mean, complete, completely agree. And what's really helpful is that they've got this framework, um, to describe this, right? So, um, you can look at limitations, uh, as, um, like a basically a spectrum of disabilities. So you can have permanent disabilities. And in our example, that would be the person with 
who 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 doesn't who's, who's got one arm. Uh, you can look at it as temporary disability, somebody with an arm injury, and you can look at someone in the situation where they're a new parent and they've got the baby. And what they do is they encourage you to think about disability, um, not only in that kind of spectrum from permanent to temporary to situational, but also mm -hmm. across four different kind of senses, across touch, see, hear, and speak. So just one more example, like you can imagine um, if you're thinking about, all right, I want to design a product um, so that people who are deaf can still you know, enjoy the product and, and get the, the right experience out of it. Again, that's the permanent way of looking at the disability, but then you have a temporary disability, for example, somebody with an ear infection, and then somebody in a situational point where they can't hear, they've forgotten their headphones and they don't have a three and a half millimeter thing to plug into anymore. So they've left their AirPods at home, so they can't, yeah. they can't hear what they're saying. They're on a loud tube, they're a bartender in a, in a loud bar. Um, they don't wanna wake up their partner, you know? So there's so many, so many implementations of you know a solution that might be initially um created or designed with a, with a narrow subset of users in mind yeah no i really love that really love that another example here is that the speak which is uh that you, you maybe need the constant non-verbal communication which is a permanence but then you might have laryngitis or laryngitis well potato potato uh, but then you also might have a heavy accent which happens really often um and, and speak might actually become a, a challenge or a barrier for communication there. I find that, I find this really, really interesting. Really cool. Yeah, absolutely. Well, look, now that we know what the principles are and we know kind of yeah. how the general approach is, how do teams, like how can teams actually put this into action? All right, so there is a really interesting thing that they have in here and uh, you will find it in the link, the, the link in the show notes. And it's basically a, an inclusive design sprint that they actually run with the with the Xbox team. And this comes with a whole set of activities that you can actually uh, do with your own team. And they have been divided, this all, all this set of activities with um, basically a framework that allows them. And if you actually see the design of the of the framework, it's actually really good because it has also been designed for 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 it to be read with pe for people with disabilities as well. Or for people who can't are, are visually impaired, or 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 maybe can't uh, differentiate colors. Anyway, um, so basically, it's, it's put into this design framework, which is uh, let's set the stage, let's get oriented, let's set the the groundwork. Then is to frame the problem, then is to ideate, then iterate, and finally optimize. Um, so is is. What I really recommend you go through this, basically they have a set of five or six different activities for each section, focus on different disabilities, focus on different teams and different strategies. So you can pretty much design your own uh, design sprint framework as well. And what is also really interesting is that basically they, they also help you to design the user persona. And as you said, um, different user stories, right? And, and actually apply those user stories and stop considering those as edge cases and consider the physical context, the social context. Are you with someone else when you're using the product? Um, are you by yourself? Uh, what's, the fit, what, what's happening around you? Is it a temporary situation or is it actually a permanent um, disability that you're having? Uh, and they challenge you to think through the sprint. So um, I recommend that you follow through that. And uh, another resource that, that I, I really recommend you go through is the design sprint by Google Ventures. And, and, and it's, this is just a more general design sprint. 
And but what I really like of combining these two is just try to combine some combine some of the activities from from the Microsoft Design Sprint with the Google Design Sprint approach, which is a much more general design sprint um, that they they basically did with with different teams within Google and, and the Google for Startups Accelerator as well. So I really recommend that you, you go through those. Um, final thing that, that just blew my mind when I saw it was um, when they this when they did this with the micro with the Xbox team at Microsoft, uh, one of the solutions was how can we create a keyboard for people who didn't have a chance to speak or write or or maybe when you are playing with different players uh, and and you you know sometimes you communicate and you live stream and you communicate and talk to other players how can we make sure that those people are able able to communicate as well and and convey those emotions that are not just writing because it just takes much longer so they basically created a keyboard um, that allows gamers with hearing disabilities to share emotions through emojis so the whole keyboard has different emojis and, and you just share quickly emotions that convey what, you, what, you, what you're feeling or what's going on, on on your site. So I thought that was a very simple solution. You don't have to, to design something from the ground up. Uh, and it's something that helps. It's, it's like the 20% of the input helps 80% of, of the users because it can also be used by other um, users that have uh, no hearing disabilities. And it is also functional as well. So I, I love that, that approach. I was just I was just thinking there, like um, what kind of emojis I, I'd be using, um, and there'd, there'd be lots of uh, anger emojis. I think yeah, mad face, mad face, uh, yeah, mad fire, face, fire, mad face. face, explosion, Thumbs face down. with brain, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that, that's yeah, that's FYI. Ravi keeps losing at FIFA, so that's why he's so upset. Yeah, exactly. Anyway. Yeah. Um, all right, cool. Well, look, we talked about kind of the, the process then. Um, let's talk about some of the output. Cool. So I found two really, really cool pieces of um, accessible design in Microsoft. Uh, mm -hmm. The first one is called Seeing AI. Um, and this is an application uh, that's on your phone. And essentially, it's, it's a talking camera for people who are blind. And what it does is you can take this, uh, uh, you can take this application out, you can open it, and you can point it at stuff and it will tell you what it is. Um, so if I've got my camera app open, and say, for example, I'm a person who's visually impaired, I can like point it like at an office and it will say you're looking at a desk with a computer on it and I can point it at um, like a hallway and it will say I'm looking at a hallway and uh, there are lots of pictures along the wall and that for me is really really cool it's very very yeah. quick and it can also do lots of other types of uh, interpretation uh, visually so say for example uh, you you're in a car and you just want to see kind of like where you are um, and you could just want to kind of want a sense of, you know, the different things around you and that kind of thing. They've got a short text reader and this is amazing. You can literally just point it. And I've done this myself testing the app. You can point it at stuff and it'll just read what it sees. So if I point it um, at my um, computer here, it would read out the text that's on the screen. It would read out MacBook Pro, which is written on my computer here. Um, and like if I'm in the shop, I was testing it earlier. I was in the shop and uh, you point it at like a can. It will tell you, you know, what, what that can is uh, in terms mm -hmm. of like what else what else it is it can read handwriting and read it out to you um and it can also uh review imported images to so say if luigi was to send me a picture of a formula one car for example it's say that is a... so it's it's really really awesome and 
you know, we were talking about, hey, if you if you design for like a narrow subset of users, then, uh, you know, you can expand that. You can expand that out um, in terms of like, obviously not being able to see, uh, as Microsoft would put it, is a is a permanent uh, disability. Um, however, there's lots of other opportunities for this kind of tech. So that kind of reading tech they've actually implemented in Microsoft OneNote and they're really finding that it's helping um, students uh, with this uh, with dyslexia, which is obviously a bit more commonplace. And as like students can like handwrite their notes and have it read out to them, uh, which yeah. uh, some some people with dyslexia really really prefer. And um, it's just really really awesome. It's a really well made app. I'd highly recommend you download it. Just have a go with it. Um, it's called Seeing AI. Uh, there'll be a link in the show notes. Um, but it's just really 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 cool. Yeah, the the machine learning model they use is actually really really fast. When you yeah, were showing so me quick. about it, I was thinking, wow, how, imagine just, because it, it, you take a picture, right? And then that thing is just comparing that picture or video or that just camera frame that you are looking at, passing that through so many examples and just figuring out, okay, this is this, but it's just instant. It's very, very impressive. Very yeah, absolutely. Impressive. Yeah, no, very cool. And so that, that, that software, um, yeah. but I thought, I thought I'd also talk about uh, and, and talk to you about a hardware implementation. Uh, and that is the uh, the Xbox adaptive controller. And I, I got quite into researching this because there's a whole ecosystem of peripherals and things like that for people with disabilities. And um, basically what the Xbox adaptive controller is, it's like a, it's like a big box. Um, it's kind of like the size of an A4 piece of paper. And it's got two massive buttons on it, like the size of your hand, really. Um, and it's also got a D-pad on it as well. And so you've got two buttons and you've got up, down, left, right. And what the Xbox adaptive controller does is it's because these buttons are really big. Um, it's really, really accessible to anybody who wants to play a video game. Mm -hmm. But what they've done is they've been really smart about how they've, how they've implemented this. So a couple of different things. The first one is that, uh, they've incorporated this feature called copilot, which means that say, for example, um, I was using the Xbox adaptive controller. Maybe I can only use one of, you know, a few of the buttons. Um, I can actually um, connect my controller with, say, for example, Luigi's controller, who's playing on a normal Xbox controller, and the Xbox will treat both of those controllers as one controller. So say, for example, we're playing, I don't know, Call of Duty, for example, and uh, obviously that's a quite a complex game. Luigi's maybe doing the movement and the aiming, and I'm pressing the button to, to, to fire the weapon, to fire the gun. Um, it actually creates all these awesome opportunities for people who weren't able to play games to play games. But it doesn't stop there. What makes this really, really interesting is that it's extendable via um, three and a half millimeter input jacks. And what I didn't know is that three and a half millimeter jacks are actually kind of like a standard for buttons um, for people with disabilities to use. So if I buy this Xbox adaptive oh. controller, I can I can plug in things like foot pedals, um, things like um, uh, cushion switches, so that, that therefore I could use the use the switch and basically switch as a button use use the button with my head or my cheek if i say for example i don't have fine motor control in my arms uh, or if i don't have strength in my arms for um for example but even things like proximity switches ultralight switches and when i was kind of getting into this and like understanding exactly how it works like i what i came across this video um from uh, a gamer named brad mm -hmm. and he had cerebral he has cerebral palsy so he doesn't have um, fine motor control 
Um, and what they've done is they've attached lots of these buttons in different orientations around him. So um, on his head, uh, above and below his head, they had really ultralight switches and either side of his head, like kind of where his ears were, um, they had um, two, two buttons. So he could use his head kind of like as a D-pad, uh, if that makes sense. So he could still get that kind of four-way control. And they also had uh, buttons rigged up uh, for his arms to use. So not necessarily his hands, but his arms. So he could hit kind of anywhere on the button with it with his arm. And, you know, you look at this product, you look at the flashy product page and you think, oh my word, you know, this is really cool, but is this actually beneficial? Uh, and is this actually being used? Uh, and yeah, the answer is yeah. And it looks like a really, really cool product. No, I think this is, oh, this is lovely. Is there a picture of how this looks like? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, best way to imagine it, like imagine like, uh, a stack of um, paper and then you've got your two buttons on it and uh, your D-pad and then what plugs in are these switches, which is literally just like a big button, kind of like you'd imagine like a buzzer on a game show uh, yeah. that plugs in to the controller, wherever it may be um, via, via right. a cable. Yeah. So it's really, really, really cool. And, you know, that fe those features combined with the co-pilot features means that you have all these opportunities for um, people who want to play games but can't and now they can and yeah. uh you know looking through some of the uh the documentation the videos for this and that kind of stuff like this is an aside but you know when you're playing a video game nobody knows what you look like nobody knows who you are um and you know i can imagine that being you know a really a really nice feeling beautiful thank you for taking us through this journey ravi no worries at all i think we're running out of time um anything else you want to talk about to be honest, for me, what I've learned about this is that you can look at accessible design as, right, this is this is like a, a thing that is good to do, right? Um, this is something that we are doing because we feel like we should do this and because we're a big company with Microsoft, you know, we should absolutely be doing this. Uh, whether we're doing it cynically because we want better press, uh, maybe we're doing it um, because we want to be seen to be doing it. But I think fundamentally what I've learned from this is that if you take the approach of inclusive design, you won't only create products or experiences that um, are more uh, uh, that are more suited to people with accessibility needs. You're going to create better products in general. Mm -hmm. And for me, that's something I learned. Yeah. Yeah. You might have to think a little bit more, but that doesn't mean that, that it's just going to push you to be a better designer at the end of the day as well. Absolutely. Absolutely. Where can we, where can people find more about the podcast, Ravi? Uh, people can find out more about the podcast by following it on Twitter, yeah. uh, designed by us underscore FM, and they can reach out to you or me personally at Ravi's Occupied and at Luigi underscore D'Entrono on Twitter. There we go. It took, what, 48 episodes to get it right. <laughs> where can people find the show notes? Uh, they can find the show notes at the link in uh, the podcast player uh, that will take you to Patreon. Don't worry, it's a free post uh, and you can go and check out all the stuff we've talked about. However, if you are there, maybe take a second just to chuck a couple of quid uh, per month our way. Uh, every pound that we get gets reinvested straight back into the show so we can make it better um, and come to you more often uh, with better content and hopefully at a higher quality as well. All right, fantastic. Well, Luigi, I've really enjoyed learning about uh, accessible design and Same for me, me this man, been, I have to say in in the research has been totally eye-opening I've really I've really enjoyed it yeah you finally did your research huh finally absolutely oh, yeah. all cool. right <laughs> see you later Ravi see you in the next episode see you later bye 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 bye